it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. And next week, we'll be doing time loops. And next week, time loops. Well, it, it feels like we've been doing this for a while now. It, it, it does. I, I have grown myself a, a full, bushy beard, and you've grown two extra hairs. Yeah, yeah, my facial hair pretty much does for villain beard and nothing else. Even with centuries in the, in the time stream here. It's great. I look. I look like an. I look like a roadie for Hawkwind. <laughs> oh, the dream. Uh. Oh, the dream. So, uh, yes. Anyway, hello and welcome to Casual Trek. Assuming you're you're still listening and not trapped in some kind of weird cycle of uh, of time. Here we are, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast. I am Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a writer. And a happy Death Day fan. And I am Miles Reed Lobato, a writer and a Doctor Who fan. But for this episode, oh. I am a fan of the episode Eve of the Daleks, where Jodie Whittaker, um, uh, Yaz, and Dan are caught in a warehouse with a collection of kill crazy Daleks, and it's Groundhog Day. It it, it might have been the most fun episode of Doctor Who in quite a while. Yeah, that was good fun. See, I see now, um, with you drilling down to that, I really should have gone an Immortal X-Men issue 9 fan. I, I was originally going to go with the Red Dwarf episode, White Hole, if only for the one scene where the cat goes, So what is it? <laughs> I've never seen one before, so no one has, but I'm guessing it's a White Hole. On and on ad infinitum. Yes, so, um, yeah, here on Casual Trek, part of the Nerd and Tie network, we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows or films and rank them on a big list of best to worst. We both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom, which makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task. In this episode, you may have guessed from our extremely subtle hinting, but we're doing time loops thanks to an anonymous person who donated money to us on Kofi, and they suggested the subject of time loops. And next week, time no no no. Okay, yeah. all right. I'm out of the time. I'm out of the time loop. Out of the time loop. Why does my face hurt? So, uh, before we go on, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Well, as of last night, I finally finished reading Grant Morrison's drugged-up 90s fetish epic, The Invisibles. I, I've been doing two, trying to read two issues a day since the beginning of the month, and I read, admittedly, the last six issues um, over the space of yesterday. It's it's great stuff. It makes me miss the, the heady highlights of 90s Vertigo comics, because even though comics are, are a lot better with sex, violence, and mature content than they were back in the 90s, there's just something extra transgressive about that era of time when DC seemed to actually be trying 
to make good comics and not just cash in on Jeff Johns' nostalgia bait all the time. There was definitely a, a kind of adventurous weirdness. And I admit, I, I came into Vertigo a bit later with uh, things like Preacher and Transmetropolitan and those kind of things. But I did read a bunch of comics from the Vertigo line from that era up to its closing. And it was always nice when it was trying different things, you know? So few series felt like one another. Yeah. And sadly, these days, it feels like it's either the Sandman universe or Black Label, which is mostly Batman stuff. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, so do you feel slightly detached from reality after, after mainlining that much Invisibles? Um, honestly, it just made me feel my fucking age. Because <laughs> like, it is such a 90s book. I, I'm now feeling how close to 40 I actually am, and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, welcome. Uh, when that happens, it's... Yeah, good luck. Um, I did watch the first episode of the new TV show Pokerface, which is created by Ryan Knives Outclass on in The Last Jedi Johnson. And Looper. And starring Natasha... And Looper. And starring uh, Natasha... Natasha Lynn? Leon, I think. Yeah, um, from, um, oh god, what's the show, what's the, what's the Netflix, that's the one, I'm one good at this, I do research. Loop. Yeah, it's alright. Oh yeah, and next week, and next week, time loops, and yeah, it's, it's set up as a kind of murder of the week show, which in this era of just everything is now a 8 to 10 hour movie cut up into bits, it is sometimes really nice to just have a TV show which is like, yep, we have one thing to deal with this week. Yes. It, it, it's weird to feel nostalgic for episodic TV. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, that was definitely one of the motivators with rewatching any Star Trek back before this project even started, just that kind of equilibrium distortion equilibrium sort of you can dive in at any episode sort of feeling yeah we've not got poker face in legitimate ways over here not yet but i think it should be out soon hopefully here's uh, here's hoping because i need to watch more but i am definitely enjoying it and what about you charlie what have you been reading in between our times and time loops well i've been reading um the disney plus menu and going to um oh. <laughs> to to watch the menu on there which um, ah. yeah is a very fun film it kind of good it, the menu i admit i'm not much of a foodie kind of person but i i appreciate things like the the gorgeous almost hypnotic filming of uh hannibal and the way food was dealt with oh, that oh kind of thing food the food porn in hannibal is amazing it is it is and in this you've got an extremely fancy chef who has a, a kind of a an island compound almost which is where um all these exclusive guests are invited for a, a meal which is several courses which will all tell a story. 
And we mainly follow uh, Nicholas Holt, who is always so good at being just a real little shit. And he is no different here. He's a fan of the chef and of the fancy food, but in the takes photos of the food more than knowing really anything about it sort of way. And Anya Taylor-Joy, who's his date, who's a a last minute replacement for a, a girlfriend that broke up with him. And it's, if it's not horror, it's horror adjacent. And it, it has a lot of vibes which go down well with having um, watched things like Glass Onion, Knives Out, um, White Lotus, all those kind of like, um, I'd say eat the rich. There's no literal eating of, of people in this, but it's it goes to some, some gloriously grim places. If you want to check out a film which has food and cooking as like one of the main like themes. Have you seen the Nicolas Cage film Pig? No. It it's really good. I, I'm really enjoying this Nicolas Cage or Renaissance that we've had over the last few years, when Nick Cage clearly fired his agent and got a better agent. And um in, in this film Pig, Nicolas Cage plays like this um this ex uh Portland chef who lives in the woods in a cabin with a truffle pig. Right. And the truffle pig gets stolen and he wants his pig back. And if you're thinking that this is going to be Mandy meets John Wick, you're wrong. Because it goes in areas you don't expect. It goes to emotional levels you don't expect. And Nicolas Cage is kind of amazing in it. Wow. But in a much more subdued way, it, it, he, he still has that same intense, that same intensity, but it's much more subdued in a way that it's not in a film like Mandy, where he's quite literally screaming, vomiting, and murdering people with chainsaws. Yeah, the cage usual. Yeah, the cage, you know, the, uh, the full cage. Okay. But wow. yeah. Pig, you should check it. But yeah, Pig, you should check it out. I'll um, probably forget and then make a note in editing to to check it out. Because yeah, I I'm hot and cold on Cage's choices mainly because he he seems to do anything, and that's sometimes it works for him. Sometimes it's it's really not that great. But yeah, um, he's. He's had a good run. Um, the unbearable lightness of massive talent was fun. Not as good as everyone says. It could that one could have needed more insanity from a film where Cage plays Nicolas Cage. Well, on that note, let's go to a very different kind of insanity with the first episode that we're covering today. And this one is from Star Trek Voyager. It's season three, episode 15, titled Coda. It aired in the, on the 29th of January, 1997. So actually, where we're recording, it is also the 29th of January. Happy birthday to Coda. Happy birthday, Coda. It was written by Jerry Taylor, directed by Nancy Malone. 
And the UK and US number one hits for Ed at this point are both ones that have stuck in my head since since being reminded of their existence. In the UK, our number one was White Town, Your Woman. And in the US, it was Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, which was inescapable on the radio. Okay, now... When was Gorillas? Because your woman sounded like budget Gorillas. Oh no! I mean the bad, not the actual animal. Um, Gorillas was after. Um, I'm really? Not... Yeah. What was it? Yeah, two thousand five. Wow! Because... Editing Charlie here, just to clarify, past Charlie was being adult. He looked at the date for Gorillaz Demon Days, which is not even the first album of the Gorillaz. Instead, the Gorillaz album Gorillaz was in 2001. Was Gorillaz really that? Oh, wow. I thought it was much earlier for some reason. Like, it's just like the kind of the, the, ele- the electronic kind of tone, like the muted, the clearly very muted vocals reminded me of like Gorillaz's first album. I think. It's one of those ones where it sounded so odd and different, but it it felt like a either a precursor or a neighbor to that sort of lo-fi-ish, portis-heady kind of odd sort of era of music, and and yet so uniquely itself in an odd way. Mm. Uh, Todd in the Shadows' One Hit One Land covered it uh, recently on YouTube, and. It was fascinating. It was one of those things where he just seeing the name of the episode and suddenly memory unlocked. Oh, my God, that was a thing. (laughs) Um, Similarly, yeah, as I said, Unbreak My Heart. I just remember so many times working in a comic shop in the 90s with that on in the background. It's it's fine for that kind of genre of music that I'm not generally a fan of. Yeah, like it's it's fine. I remember it, but like it's not going to be. You see, I did research. I actually listened to the music this week. Oh my god! Normally, I do that, and I, I know half the times. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it, it's it's fine. It's it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things where if I'm feeling nostalgic or writing something set in the era, I might put it on a on a playlist, and that's it. Anyway, I have my notes handy now. To, to give our fair audience a recap. Do you have some kind of timing device? We live in a digital age, so of course we do. Of course I do. Your five-minute timer. And just so you know, uh, five minutes is five minutes for this episode. There's going to be no time-loopy shenanigans where the clock runs over. Sure. Because sure. I, enjoy, I enjoy making this hard for you. Right. <laughs> And engage. So, Neelix is being annoying, as ever, plus Sashansh and all that. There was a Voyager talent night. Kim was on the clarinet, Tuvok was delivering terrible poetry, and Janeway was dancing. Truly, it's been a wild time on the Voyager. Um, Chakotay and Janeway shuttled to, uh, to a planet, having exactly the same conversation, but without Neelix. Uh, then a, a kind of weird storm downs the shuttle. They crash and Chakotay wakes up only to find Janeway looking like she's dead. Oh no, 
Chakotay gets a backup with some CPR, one of the rare uses of it in Star Trek, and they check out the planet. There are Vidian corpses there, which is weird, as at this point in the show, they should be beyond them. And worse, there are living Vidians as well. Chakotay gets shot, Janeway gets strangled to death. Boom! Boom. Time loop! Back in the shuttle again. Uh Uh-oh, both of these two are genre-savvy enough and have seen the reports from previous Starfleet ships. They know they're in a time loop. They try to stop it. They decide, let's avoid the planet. They're killed by a nearby Vidian warship. Time Time loop! loop. Back in the shuttle again. And now there are two Vidian ships instead of one. This feels like cheating. Luckily, Voyager is in range, so it's time to flee there. (laughs) Back on Voyager, no one remembers the the time loop, not even Chakotay this time. The Doctor checks out Janeway, and it turns out she's got the phage from two time loops earlier. Uh Uh-oh. He mentions that the time loops are actually rapid-onset dementia from the phage, and she needs to be taken to a farm-up state. Janeway is visibly deteriorating, and she doesn't like that diagnosis. She tries to power him down, she fails, and dies. Time Time loop! Back again now. And there's a some kind of anomaly. So let's fly into it. We may as well at this point. There's a flash and we see Janeway getting CPR from Chakotay. But worse, Janeway sees Janeway getting CPR from Chakotay. She's a ghost now. And Chakotay, he's not so good at CPR as it turns out. He doesn't save her. Takes her body back to Voyager where the doctor also is like, oh, she dead. You got a dead one right here. And Ghost Janeway is pissed off with this. She walks through Kess, who senses something, giving her freaky powers. And the Voyager crew, upon hearing all of this, they're given useful tasks, apart from Neelix, who is told to look after everyone's morale. So, you know, go off, do something, whatever, put some posters up. He probably walked through the ship naked. Uh, again, get the morale up, not, not wreck it. Um, anyway, Janeway, uh, Janeway sees a light and the ghost of her dad. Apparently he did, he had exactly the same thing and wandered around to ghost, not really wanting to move on until he decided actually it's for the best. Janeway, she's not having any of this. Um, Kess and Tuvok perform a kind of mutant circuit to listen for Janeway's ghost and it doesn't work. Even with Janeway sat right there. So Kess accepts Janeway's death and decides to move on. Everyone has a memorial service with an odd selection of um, of speakers, mainly Bellana and Harry Kim, giving eulogies. And then they shoot Janeway's body out to space. And people are told, don't be sad, even though Neelix has cooked for you. The ghost dad says, come on, look, your body's gone. Everyone's moving on. It's time for ghost Janeway. To One listen. minute. Okay. Janeway, however, is stubborn as usual. She's fine watching the crew, seeing how their attempt to get back home goes. There's another flash, and she's on the planet. She's actually been hallucinating, maybe, uh, with all of this ghost thing. She pulls the old, you're not my father. And yeah, he's not her father. He's some kind of weird predatory ghost thing and wants to put her in a ghost matrix, which is his version of crossing over. And that way he can feed on the dying. He needs consent, though. Janeway says no. She doesn't like this plan and wakes up. Back on the ship, Janeway's physically all right, but a bit rattled. Are all near-death experiences this one jerk? Probably not. 
the end. Charlie, I don't believe it. Yep. You, eight seconds. You were. What? You had eight seconds left on the clock. You yes, did it. I did it. <laughs> uh, oh my god. <laughs> okay, that's um, that's shocking. Yeah. So, mm, that was that was an interesting one. Okay, I love the memorial service where like thirty people turned up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've not got a big group, but <laughs> no, it's like again. Apparently, everyone else is at work, and just it's like, yeah, if you're off duty, come by the memorial. It, it's fine. We we have sandwiches. Yeah, if you want to cash in some leave, then fine. But you're not getting you're not getting a half day for this. Got some PT. We got some PTO going. Better go to a funeral. It was different. I I knew there were some time loop adjacent episodes of Voyager. And this one, at least for the first half, was a time loop, kind of. But I'd not expected all of the weird ghost afterlife stuff. So that was a, a fun, weird treat. I like the idea of time loop as a kind of ghost story. Because, like, a lot of, you know, um, with some haunting house stories, there's the idea that a ghost is just playing back, like, the last few memories of being alive in a place. Yeah. So that was like a really interesting kind of ghost story bent, but then the time loop just kind of went away, and we're left with um, with um, Janeway being dead. I this is Stephen Fry's fault. Um, ever since he uh, pointed out in an episode of QI how bad a line of dialogue "Don't you die on me" kind of is. I can't take it seriously anytime I hear it in a drama. So Chakotay, um, just kind of performing CPR in Janeway, um, shouting, don't you die on me, was unintentionally hilarious. Oh, uh, yeah. I, Chakotay, as it turns out, didn't get much to do with this one, despite being right there at the start of it all. This was very much a, a character focus on, on Janeway. But I love, I love the, She's so like stubbornly like no fuck it I'm gonna be here in a ghost forever it's fine like nope yeah she is still forgive no fucks captain yeah I I wanna ask you something actually mm. do you think the episode would have worked better if it hadn't just been ooh it's a freaky alien who captures souls at the moment of death and had been Janeway genuinely having a near-death experience and choosing to try and live. Because the ending where it turns out, oh, her her dad's actually a Baden, kind of, I don't know, it, it was a turn too late to kind of be, to kind of work for me. I think some ambiguity would have made it interesting. Of not necessarily, yes, yeah. it's Janeway's genuine ghost dad, but maybe... If it was, you know, a contact alien sort of, this is something appearing like your dad wanting to usher you safely to whatever is on the other side, or it is some kind of spider sort of thing trying to feed on things in its in its ghost matrix web. Like if it was left ambiguous whether this was actually benevolent or horrific, could have been fun. How did it get Tuvok to uh, agree to Talent Night? That that's that was my main question. 
Yeah. For the entire episode, which which may which may tell you how much I can't how much I was really like enjoying the episodes. I'm like, okay, Spock, he has his he has his, like his harp thing. So Spock always appears to be down to jam mm. in in original Trek. Tuvok, Tuvok is that middle manager guy who has too, who wields too much authority and treats it like life or death. Um, I can't imagine him breaking out the beat poetry. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know what the poetry was. Is it just about his workplace? Although I like the idea of Tuvok just wearing like a black turtleneck and a beret like a nineteen fifties beatnik. Well, with a we pair don't... of Vol- uh, Vulcan bongo drums. <laughs> we know from um, the way in which in in our last episode we saw the Vulcan attitude to logic. And, you know, all that po-face seriousness still has a place for music and art and love and all of that, even if they are an extremely logic-based kind of species. So, yeah, for all we know, he lives for two things. One, work, and two, beat poetry. The meter is very logical. God, I I would love that. I would love to see a Vulcan beat poet now. So yeah, um, a Vulcan beatnik. <laughs> yeah, I was I was looking at some of the background things on this, and apparently Janeway's dad dying, uh, kind of the the method of his death and all that, all came from a novel about Janeway's life up to Voyager by the writer of this episode, and she was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wrote it. I could get away with it." <laughs> Adding my novel stuff, it's even more canon now. Isn't she one of the executive producers, uh, Jerry Taylor? Yeah. I think she's in the executive producer credits. So, like, I think you can get away with it at that point. Definitely. Yeah, so I think as a whole, it it was one of those episodes where it felt a bit small and self-contained and quite nice for that. As much as I love a time loop episode in so many shows, even even things like Stargate SG-1, which I really don't care for 99% of the time, but their time loop episode, that was right. That time loop episode is delightful. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely the right phrase for it. You know, it's um, a bit of mischief and a bit of fun. And this one is very much not mischief or fun. But it does something unique with the premise. Oh, uh, definitely. Um, I don't really have much to talk about this one. Like it was, it was like the time one. loopy yeah. stuff was. It, it's it's fine. Like as Voyager go, like as Voyager goes. I don't remember watching this one first time round, and I was still watching Voyager at that point. But like, given I think I've been like fourteen, this would be one of the episodes where as a kid I'm like, this is boring. I want more spaceship spaceship battles. Ah, uh, see, I was, uh, I'd given up by this point. It was partway through season two that I'd stopped. And unfortunately, um, yeah, I didn't see this because I would have, I would have enjoyed it at the time. Luckily, I enjoyed it right now. And, um, yeah, yeah as we've got very little to say, then this was a solid, a solid Voyager. And we've got mostly. Let's see. I'm looking at the big list. We have not done much Voyager. Yeah, so that big list, uh, just in case people don't remember because I've been stuck in the outro from last episode for years, but we have a big list of best to worst, ranking Star Trek episodes and 
one film currently, all the way from our number one slot, which is Emissary, down to, let's see, about a third of the way, we've got DS9's crossover, where Odo fucking explodes. In that final third, we we top off with number 20 with Cat's Paw from the original series, and Kitten Kong and some weird eldritch clanger-like abominations. And then right down at the bottom, we have some bad attempts at Doctor Who references and actually a time loop with Enterprise's future tense. So where on earth would this fit? And as you said, we've got very little Voyager. We have Caretaker and the Thor. And this is definitely better than both of those. Yeah. Um... Hmm. Okay. I'm I'm probably gonna say like late teens, early twenties. Let's see. So yeah, Cat's Paw is fun, but not necessarily good. Yeah. Treachery, Faith, and the Great River feels oddly comparable in the the kind of um like the existential crises of the Wayuns and um and what was going on there. That's thinking, you know, is 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 uh is Janeway's dad more compelling a character than Grappler Zorn at Farpoint Station? I would like to think so. <laughs> or at least the entity that looks like Janeway's dad. Janeway's dad himself just seems a little, you know, whatever. He's a he's a bold guy and a moo moo. <laughs> I I I definitely think I think this is better than Cat's Paw, but Treachery Faith in the Great Knit River has enough antics with Nog and O'Brien to make me keep it in its place for now. Okay. So yeah, a, a solid a solid position at number twenty on the list. I reckon that's I reckon that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's probably not my favourite of the of tonight's episodes, but um yeah solid you know at the moment this is a fairly top heavy list so yeah yeah and, and even if a uh, cat's paw gets knocked down a spot it's still number one on the list of willie the ship's cat and his own list yes yeah it's gonna take a lot to depose that episode on on willie's list yeah we're gonna probably need, like that that one episode with uh the animated episode with the Kazinti. Mm-hmm. With the cat people. Ah, yes, I've yet to encounter them. Right, so that is our first episode done. So, next up, we have the specific episode requested by our anonymous... Um, what are they on Kofi? Our anonymous donor on Kofi which is Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 5, Episode 18, called Cause and Effect. This episode aired on the 23rd of March, 1992. It was written by Branham Braga, directed by Jonathan Frakes, and somehow he didn't name this after jazz, unless he did, and I just don't know my jazz, which is fair. The UK and US number one hits, again, are ones that I didn't even need to revisit because of how evocative they were in my memory. For UK's number one was Shakespeare's sister with Stay, and the US's was Vanessa Williams with Save the Best for Last. 
say I did not remember at all, but like say the best for last was yeah, I remember that one again. Like um, Unbreak My Heart, it's that genre of music which I don't listen to that much, but it's just kind of nice to hear again. Yeah, it's just there. Um, Shakespeare's sister was like that's for one with a really weird music video, isn't it? Um, maybe because I just looked this up on on Apple Music. Ah, okay. There was one of while I was on while I was on the bus. Ah, yes. One of theirs had a really really weird music video, and it was one of the first music videos I remember. Which, yeah, good for it. And yeah, Vanessa Williams, as you say, it's it's the kind of thing that I could imagine something set in 1992 playing in order to remind us it's 1992. Definitely. Um, do you want to start the clock? I do. I very much do. I should have found it before now, actually. Um, okay, so, again, five minutes. We'll see how you do. Don't get stuck in any, you know, time holes or anything. Let's... I'll do my best. No promises. Okay. And uh, let's engage. We open with... The Enterprise literally spinning through space and exploding. Vinyl scratch. Freeze frame. I am sure you're wondering how we got into this scenario. But don't worry. We get it. We head back to before everything went boom. The Enterprise is entering an area of space known as the Typhon Expanse. And they're investigating readings. Meanwhile, Data, Riker, Worf, and Beverly are playing card games. And um, Riker comments that he thinks that Data is stacking the deck. Stick a pin in that. We go through an established pattern of a card game, which Beverly wins. And Beverly is called to sickbay because Jory um, isn't doing too well. He has like a really bad headache. And at first, they think it's a problem with the visor. But they sort it out, and Jory sent on his way. Later that night... Beverly Crusher hears some strange voices in her room, which next morning, no one else hears. At that point, they're getting weird anonymous single signals from before them, and a ship appears out of nowhere. They try and use the tractor beam to push the ship out of the way. Riker suggests venting the shuttle bay to move the Enterprise out of the way of the ship, but they go with Data's idea, which involves the tractor beam. It goes wrong, and Enterprise spins through space and explodes. Timely! The Enterprise is entering an area of space known as Typhon Expanse, and we have Data and company playing cards, and Beverly um, starts to remember the you know the, how the game went out with the previous hand. She's a little bit put off, and then she's called away to see Geordie. She hears the voices again. But this time, more people are hearing the voices. And then, a ship appears out of nowhere before them, and they use the tractor beam to try and knock the ship out of the way, causing the ship to hit the Enterprise, and the Enterprise spins through, it, through space and explodes. Timely! Playing cards. But this time, everyone is remembering the pattern of cards being laid down. And so they're all calling out the card just before it's being placed on the table and it's kind of creepy. Beverly calls Sickbay but to ask for Geordie, but Geordie won't arrive for another second. And that's when they start to realize, oh wait, we might be in a time loop. 
because Bev- Crusher takes Picard and asks Crusher gets Picard and she has been doing a deeper scan on Geordi's visor. It turns out that what is causing the interference that's giving me headaches isn't just a weird medical reaction. It's actually his visor picking up the previous time loops. And what they're doing is repeating this set moment in time. Now that they're savvy on what's going on, they work out a way to transmit a message to the next loop. But they can only go with a very, like, one word to be their message. Things go on as they were, and the ship is about to explode. But this time, before the ship explodes, Data types a word into the device which is going to send the message into his positronic net. And guess what? The ship explodes. Timely. Timely. We're back at the card game. But this time, instead of the regular pattern that we've become used to, Data starts dealing... Starts dealing cards free of each suite of each suit before it goes back to the original pattern what does this mean data and geordie are doing uh more tests and the number three keeps cropping up the crew are aware of the, the crew are aware of the time loop and so we get to the point when they're about to crash into the ship at this moment data looks up sees the three pips of Riker's insignia and realizes that Riker's plan is actually the correct one and so breaks the time loop not by using the tractor beam but by venting the shuttle bay thus knocking the ship out of way of the ship which is going to crash into them. They make contact with the ships and Beta hear the blues are calling toss salad and scrambled oh. eggs because oh. there's Dr. Frazier Crane oh. sitting oh in the captain's chair. The blues are calling. The time is up. Oh, so close. So amazingly close. So close. Man, if I had not bothered to mention Frasier, I could have done it. You could have. I am hoisting my petard for this one. I could have. I could have had it all. Anyway. So, yeah. It turns out that um, it is actually a ship which has been knocked through, been caught in a time loop, and is now free. And they're about 50 years into their own future. And it's a shame that they're probably not going to get back pay for this. No time loops. The end. Yep. Good work. That was 22 seconds over. But yes. So, Captain Fraser did need to be mentioned. Yeah. But yeah, Captain Captain Beardy Fraser. And while the ship appears, there's... Or at least I think there are references to the ship in the future. There's not really any any closure, at least not in this episode, going, oh, yeah, and here's how to deal with the trauma of having been stuck in a time loop for 50 years. Um, it's just, I guess, part of the job. Yeah, it, it, it's Starfleet. Starfleet's weird like that. Like we've mentioned in previous episodes... Starfleet probably has a lot of non-disclosure agreements you have to kind of sign before you join up. Definitely. So, Miles. So, Charlie. Yeah? Three. Like, as far as one word to go. I, I loved this episode. It was a very good episode. But three feels like a bit of a leap, guess-wise. Like, I wouldn't have gone three. That means I should listen to Riker rather than having the same bad idea again. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that Data kind of worked out that because he got the message from his positronic net, that he would have been the one to send the message. So probably worked out a 
a computer leap of logic that would be too quick for our, our meaty human meat brains to uh, comprehend. True. What if he kept doing things that related for number three, just in case those were the right ones? You know, oh god, I've got to have three drinks now. You know, oh, the, the third turbo lift has to be the one I take. How, how far do you go? And this is how Data becomes an obsessive-compulsive android. Hmm. Yeah, if he wasn't already, then yeah. Are we, are we done with the time loop at this point? Probably, but do I have to focus on the number three constantly forever now? Just in case. My question was, would you ever stand next to someone in such a way that your crotch was perpetually right in their face? Because the way Riker stands by Data's chair, you oh, know, close there. he he gave him a, a, a look at his meat and two veg. Okay, so I wouldn't, but Riker would. Riker would. And yeah, you know he... what? He would love every moment of it. Uh, yeah, just proud that it's out there. I really enjoyed this one. I I love how they use the, the poker scene. Mm. Because they don't just replay the footage. There, there are subtle differences between each like iteration. Um, be it just the way like Riker talks to you know tells Wolf, I think he's stacking the deck because sometimes he's really leaning in, no crotch, and sometimes he's just kind of casually in his chair. And then when it comes to the moment when Data is dealing the cards, and it cuts to each of the other members of the crew as they're recounting the cards that are being dealt. It is extreme close-up, almost Kubrickian in its unsettling extreme close-up. Oh, it does some amazingly creepy things. And I I read that apparently the it was a direct uh, directorial intent to make sure that every time loop the camera was it placed differently like the direction of the scene was different because they didn't mm. want people getting bored seeing the same scene over and over again so yeah. not only is it a case where they they did genuinely refilm each of these rather than reusing the footage but it it helps add to the ominousness and that that creepy mm. sense of we're living these same moments and we don't know what it means and we don't know what we experienced before. Like it's incredibly well done. Man, I, I really hope that no one was in the shuttle bay. Because like if that thing got drained without anyone knowing, I feel sorry for the poor guy who's in there who just got sucked out into space. Um oh, yeah. because data had an idea. Fucking data. Terrible. Get better ideas, data. It, and it's Okay, it's extremely petty and extremely terrible, but because it is that Riker, I've got an idea. Data, oh, I've got one. Let's go with let's go with Data's. Every time it feels like no, listen to someone else. He's got a no. bad idea. We know it will go wrong. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Oh, I'm getting irrational about this now. So yeah. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes, get a get a rationally angered TV show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No one else, no one's done that before. It won't go wrong. No, especially online. Oh God, no! 
No, don't make me have an opinion online about something. Oh god, no. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, Th- this is very much like a bottle episode, and it it it's the main cast just shining all the way through. Definitely, Frakes really gets good performances out of people, and sometimes when a when an actor in a TV show is given like EP credit or a chance to direct, you worry that it's going to go to their head and that they're not going to be great. But um, similar to how Gates McFadden, you know, um, for Genesis, this was really like he got great performances from his colleagues. Yeah. Like this one slips, definitely slips into horror story more than it does sci-fi story. Yeah. Where it is the it is the sense of unease. It does keep the lighting very low level to definitely be more melodramatic than just having like the set, the brightly lit bridge. You know, the bridge I think is at every point just in darkness. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It has that sense that we're in the night cycle all through this, and um, yeah, I've seen. I've seen a lot of genre shows. I've seen a lot of time loop episodes, and this must be the earliest one of them. But it feels proficient in a way that you you didn't always get. And it, again, I love the trope, but you look at some like um, uh, things like Supernatural, where it's, it feels a bit like, okay, this is fine, you know, it's all right. Or Stargate, where they're having fun with it because they're very self-aware very kind of knowing about it and this is this is 1992 this is before groundhog day even oh okay so this was before groundhog okay by by year like because okay because doctor who doctor who has done like one or two dabblings with time loops but it's never really been a central focus. That feels or, weird. Or at best, you it's or at best, you know, you've had like a grandfather a paradox, where you're going back in time to change something and end up causing it. Mm. Like a, like a Back to the Future, but no, no sort of we're stuck in this moment in time for a set time and then it repeats. I have an idea for. Um... The Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space role playing game. I I'd started oh, no. planning. <laughs> I started planning a second series of it before most of the members of the group at that point um, kind of had left, disbanded, or whatever. So we never got to do a series two. But I had an idea for a time loop episode set during the denouement of a murder mystery, and. The time loop kind of <laughs> messing with that constantly, which um, yeah, one day I might get to do. Yeah, mm. I am actually now. All right, so I'm now looking up time loop on Wikipedia. Oh yeah. Uh, that's yep. Um, course it mentions. Uh, yep. Right, yeah, another example of a time loop is the 1915 Russian novel. Strange Life of Ivan Osokin. It's been a few okay. short stories. Um, 
Uh, there's another Soviet film in 1988, um, Mirror for a Hero, uh, then Star Trek Cause and Effect, and then Groundhog Day. Like, yeah, uh, there's been, there's been, I can't think of anything which would have been in the Western sphere of pop culture. Yeah. So yeah, this, this is probably one of the earlier ones, and is incredibly good. I think, as you say, playing it almost more as horror and suspense than anything else. Like, we know they die. How do they not die? <laughs> is quite good. And, and yeah, you get some where uh, some time loop episodes of things where people get jaded and start kind of killing themselves in comedic ways. Or, you know, like I was saying at the top of the show about Happy Death Day, that is relentless kind of weird and wacky deaths that go on uh there and and it's all right but this feels different and interesting for it so yeah i think i'm just looking at our big list and weirdly enough our best episode of tng is just at almost at the halfway point with genesis Another horror-themed, horror-style <laughs> episode. This is definitely better than Genesis. Yeah. Like, how oh, far so further up do we want to go? Because, yeah, this was, this was great. And while it wasn't something that established some concrete canon for, you know, some, re- some relevant lasting elements for Star Trek significance, it obviously did a lot for sci-fi. Really, hmm. Or it's like mainstream, like TV sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like again, as you say, literary sci-fi. It was a bit different and stuff like the yeah. girl who leapt through time was earlier. But yeah, um, like, are we talking better than the Tribbles? Um, Trouble or Tribulations? Well, either. I mean, damn. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Cause this I, was... Oh man, you're 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 going straight up. I I messaged you while Aye. watching this, going, "Oh, this is some fucking good Star Trek." Like, oh, this is <laughs> I like this is it, we're on the good shit here. Um, and yeah, it's uh, you know, sure, Genesis is almost halfway down the list, so shooting up almost as far as we can go. Like, Trouble with Tribbles adds some big, big things to the world and is a really fun episode. And is it better and more important than, like, more fun and more important than cause and effect? And similarly with Trials and Tribulations, you know? I, I might have to, I might have to agree, might have to put it up, like, in the top ten. Yeah, yeah, definitely in the top ten. Yeah. See, so, yeah, I think this is. I think this is better than Tribbles. Okay. Okay. Because um, admittedly, as much as I enjoyed Trouble with Tribbles, it does have, it, it does kind of suffer from the Star Trek comedy problem, in which our crew of hypercompetent spacemen and women essentially have to be a little bit stupid. For the comedy to work. See, it works better than a lot of the comedy episodes, but ultimately this is 
This is a- I think Trials and Tribulations works better in comedy because mm. you do have the fish out of the the antics come from the fish out of water. Yeah, and Bashir trying to be his own great granddad. So yeah, I would definitely I would say this goes on number four. Well, I mean, the other thing I was going to say is, is this better than House of Quark? Oh wow, you're you're really going there. Is like House of Quark um, really good? Oh, again, we're talking a comedy episode. We're talking, you know, some fiasco style, cl- um, like Ferengi hijinks, and that's good. But is oh man, a, a fiasco, a fiasco time loop. Uh, there is one. <laughs> oh no. Um, okay. Yeah, I. You've you've convinced me. So number three on the list, it goes. Hell yeah! Okay. Right, let's do it. Wow. Oh my god, um, I'm having to move a lot on the spreadsheet here. Oh dear. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, it was that thing you were talking about the tribbles, and I was like, yeah, yeah, this all makes sense. This is all, you know, it's all valid. And I saw House of Quark up there. I was like, it's, it's had a lot of um a lot of mercy in a lot of things being, you know, not as good as Trouble with Tribbles. And yeah, I think I think this is a good place for it. Man, the real question is, what's it going to take to knock Emissary off top spot? I know. I want to know, though. I I am looking forward to when that happens. Not because I'm down on Emissary, but because I'm really curious. Like I I love Emissary. And yeah. I love I don't, again. I love the Strange New Worlds pilot. I've seen that a number of times now, and yeah. It's it still holds up, but yes, we have a new number right. three with cause and effect. Also, I know why you wanted to put us number three. It's because they no. beamed a message, the number three, into your positronic net to rank this episode at number three in the listings. Oh my god, Data incepted this. Data incepted you. Oh no, I've been incepted by Data. Uh. You've been accepted by a TV show. Your life is Grant Morrison now. Hooray! Finally. Okay. Um. Good. <laughs> shall we? Con- okay. Shall we continue? Yeah. Yeah. Let's continue. And um. Yeah. Our third and final time loop of the episode is Star Trek Discovery season one, episode seven. And when our donor shot us some money. And said, hey, here's, you know, cause and effect as a thing. I immediately knew which episode to cover. And it's this one called Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Which I think's an Iliad reference. More than likely. This is a, this is a Discovery episode, right? It is. It is. Yeah, so it aired... In, uh, let's see, on the 29th of October, 2017. It was written by Aaron Eli Colliat, who wrote some Ultimate X-Men comics, including the Ultimatum issues as well. So I'm sorry, Aaron. Also by Jesse Alexander. And it was directed by David M. Barrett. So yes, we have the UK and US number one hits are the same hit. This is the first time that this has happened, and it was Post Malone featuring 21 Savage with Rockstar. 
and I I don't care for Mr. Malone to be honest. I'm 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 glad it's not um God, what's his name? The guy we keep complaining about. He did the song for the Pokemon game. Ed Sheeran. Oh, there we go. I'm just glad it's not Ed Sheeran. But honestly, all I could think of as I was listening to the song is that this would probably be playing at the party that's going on in the episode we're about to talk about. Oh, no. I mean, it would be an oldie at this point. Yep, it's, it'll be classical music. Yeah, I saw someone, uh, what is it, uh, overthinking it, pointing out that the music playing in the party scene in this episode was from 1997, which is the equivalent of people these days listening to one of the hottest bangers of 1769. <laughs> look, look, as we all know from watching Star Trek, there has been no culture, either cinematically, musically, or televisually, since the end of the 90s. Look, the eugenics were wiped out a lot. <sighs> On the plus side, it looks like it wiped out uh, Jeff Johns. Hey, <laughs> excellent. Well, on that on that joyous note, <laughs> right? Okay, I have got the clock and engage. So previously, Stamets linked himself to the spore drive on Discovery. Lorca and Tyler spent some time in prison with someone called Harry Mudd. That's all the previously we need for once. Michael narrates to her diary, saying things are a bit chilled with the Klingons. Uh, Stamets is acting weird, but seems happy overall. And Michael, for a human raised on Vulcan, is confused by a crush that she has on Ash Tyler and is trying to fit in with people by going to a party. And the party is its pretty much what I remember university parties being like, hopefully for their sake, with slightly fewer flaws. So yeah, Tilly tries to convince Michael to speak to Ash, and yes, even Tilly has better game than Michael Burnham. Just as Michael and Ash are beginning to talk, they're summoned for bridge. They bump into Stamets, who's high on life and other things as well, by the looks of it, and he gets kind of politely wrangled away from them by, uh, by Hugh, who apologises to them. Stamets also shows off a hot new implant that he's got to help with the connection, between himself and the spore drive. Uh, when Michael and Ash arrive on the bridge, they found some kind of space beastie and it's endangered. So it's best to beam it aboard and get it some kind of space wildlife sanctuary. Only, oh no, what's inside the space whale? It's Harry Mudd and he starts shooting everyone. He says that he's going to try this again. Now he's got a bit more knowledge. Sets off an explosion and everyone dies. Time loop! <laughs> I'm doing the hand gestures while, while saying time loop, just in case you couldn't tell. Um, back to the party. And as Ash and Michael leave, Stamet seems a bit more sober and pretty panicked about what's going on. He mentions he knows there's a time loop going on and the space whale's about to happen. When it's mentioned up on the bridge by Lorca, Ash and Michael look shocked. Oh my god, Stamets was right. Saru wants to bring the space well on board, and Michael and Ash prepare for an ambush. But now, Mud has beamed in instead, and chills in engineering with a drink. He's trying to find out how the engine works, and when Stamets shoots him, he explains this has been happening a lot, but there's not been any, any comfortable win 
for either side. Time loop! Time loop. Stamets now confronts Michael on her way to the space well. He repeats her words exactly because he's seen this kind of thing before. Lorca is summoned off of the bridge by Mud, pretending to be Hugh Colber. And Stamets explains how everything is getting confusing with these time jumps. Could Michael share a secret to make a bit of a kind of shortcut to explain to her, yes, there's a time loop going on and that would be a bit convenient. Lorca shows Mud his hidden evil lair, and we cut to a montage of Mud killing Lorca 53 times, and he does it again here. Time loop! loop. Stamets uh, distracts Tilly at the party, buying some time to tell Michael her secret. She's never been in love. She believes him, and he mentions that, you know, Ash actually likes her. She puts her foot in her mouth with him, and Stamets suggests maybe dancing with him. And Ash, uh, sorry, not Ash, Stamets and Michael dance in the hallway with Stamets mentioning how he met Hugh, which is all a nice, charming story, but uses up this reset. Time loop! Michael and Ash actually dance at the party this time. Michael's still mostly business, though, and explains the time loop that's going on. Ash mentions how Mud was apparently bragging a lot when they're in prison together and has some kind of time crystal, which normally... an unstable thing, temporarily somehow stable here. On the bridge, Lorca asks uh, where Ash and Michael have gone to, and some music plays. It's Mud again, being a cheeky little scamp, taking over the the bridge, the computer, beaming Lorca into the brig, and he's holding some kind of condensed matter ball. Sorry, condensed dark matter ball. Um, a condensed matter ball is the kind of thing that has come out of my my sink before and is not very pleasant. Still, with all of this, oh no, there's all sorts of threats going on. Ash gets murdered with the dark matter ball. Stamets shows off his patch trying to placate mud and they both beam away. Michael talks over the situation with Tilly, knowing there's not much time. Uh, no, nope. Oh. Nope. Oh, there's not much right. time left in this. Fine. No, it, okay. was, it was all that talk about balls. It's, well, balls to you. Okay, fine. Uh, balls to me, but I'm not on a timer, so, and engage. Okay, anyway, so yes, um, Michael and Tilly talk the situation while examining the space well. They, sent, they see um, Mud's ship inside there, and they, they need to get a better plan and to get him to reset the timeline. Michael knows how to do this. So when Mud's busy boasting to himself, as you know, is villain law, Michael appears and mentions that uh, the ship's fine to hand over to Klingons for the bounty, but she's worth a lot more because she started the war. He agrees and she eats for Dark Matter, dying and forcing him to reset time loop! Time loop. There's a, there's a race now between Mud and Michael. When Mud appears on the bridge, everyone actually knows and is fairly chill with this. They capitulate to all of his demands. Lorca politely hands him the chair, and Stamets explains, the victory is a chronal certainty. It's going to happen. It's not worth fighting. Mud transmits a message off to the Klingons without even, you know, looking or considering any of the details with that. And mentions, please come and pick up the ship and pick up Michael. With his job done, everyone re-enters stable time 
from the place of uncertainty it's been in, and the time crystal that he's got disintegrates after all the overuse. Mud takes statements of Michael away to the uh, transporter room to go, hey, here you go, Klingons. And at this point, they mention the girlfriend. He's been kind of lamenting um, the loss of and not being around and all that. And it turns out, looking in his files in one of the time jumps, um, actually, it was a bit less amicable and she was abandoned and has been looking for him. Those Klingons? They didn't get the message. Instead, Stella and the um, stern 1980s comedy dad both got this message. They show up and and it looks like it's going bad for Mud, but he still manages to leverage it. He finds out that Stella knows he's a crook and she's fine with this. The dad, he looks stern like some kind of father that would be called the captain or the colonel or something. but. He's, again, fine with all the crime and agrees to never let Mud near Starfleet ever again. Uh, so, problem solved. And we close out with Ash and Michael, both aware that they shared some really nice times and a heartfelt dance, which perplexes Michael because she can't imagine ever being that bold. Things look kind of good, and she's going to switch her relationship status to It's Complicated. The end. Three minutes, one second. Ah, okay. I figured that would overrun a bit, but yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I I liked this one. I I like bits of it. I have a few. I have some issues. Okay. Um. Was it was it the choice of Wyclef Jean for for the party? No, it is not the choice of Wyclef Jean or Abba, which okay. is a bit on the nose. When it starts playing "Staying Alive," when they keep flashing back to the party, um, that is first, yeah, that is from the Wyclef Jean track. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. that's not. Oh, right, okay, wow, okay, no, that's <laughs> that's nineteen ninety-seven. Me trying to stay alive. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. Alas, all knowledge of Abba was also lost in the eugenics war. <laughs> I bemoan my lack of knowledge of the discography of Wyclef Shan. Um, hey, first of all, there was so much I enjoyed about um, yeah. Mud is great. Like he he knows what how camp Star Trek is meant to be. So it's it's really weird to just have him have a character be this gloriously campy in a show which takes great pains to. Be really serious. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. When Honestly. I heard Dwight from The Office was going to be Harry Mudd, I was like, oh no, oh, that's going to be a bit rough, isn't it? And no, he embraced the campy Harry Mudd of it all. And even in a story which had serious moments, he was a fun villain. Yeah, like he is this swaggering, swashbuckling rogue, and it's brilliant. Hmm. Yes, he's a just a real piece of shit, and I, I, I like when they embrace it. I loved his um his kill spree of Lorca. Yes. Um. It it reminds me of every time I've gotten really fed up in like Fallout Three and gone right. I can't. I'm struggling on this quest. I'm just gonna get all my guns and I am going to just burn this save file. 
shooting out Megaton. <laughs> because I can. It, it's the same mentality of getting all the police officers after you in a Grand Theft Auto game and seeing how long you can survive. Definitely. I remember during my brief moment of video game streaming with D-Pad magazine with Fred Black, current video game streamer, I think, and we would have challenges for each other on GTA 5. And it was always stupid and, yeah, very satisfying. And this feels like that video gamey attitude used well. Yeah. Um, that said. Okay. So, how much do you think the writers knew that Lorca is actually a bad guy from the Mirror Universe? Uh, I mean, I think they knew he was a bad guy. Because like that, that entire bit kind of reads really differently when you've watched the entire season. Yes, definitely. We know he's a guy who's like running the ship in fairly unscrupulous ways. We know he's got a secret lair, and you know there's obviously shady stuff going on with Lorca, which yeah just makes for, for repeated deaths and him not being able to mastermind his way out of it all. Um, kind of fun. The like the perspective of this, you know, um, we we we're so used to following Lorca and Michael, and seeing Stamets going through it all, and we're we're not necessarily following him so much as following all of the effects of what he's doing and where he's going it was quite fun. Yeah, Stamets. Okay, one last thing about the repeated deaths of Lorca. Yeah, yeah. Which was your favorite? Because it has, for me, it is the Lorca gets beamed up off into space and we see him choking to death on the view screen. <laughs> it That's the best cruel, one. That was the best one, definitely. That was one of those, oh, that is so horrible, but also funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my honest biggest concern, issue with this episode is that mm. the tone is all over the place because yeah. when it goes from like being a drama to kind of being a romantic comedy with statements trying to teach michael how to get her groove on um back to drama and then back to kind of romantic comedy um with with mud and his his girlfriend and his girl and his girlfriend's dad and that just makes the tone so inconsistent that it kind of feels off-putting. See, I, I'm trying to remember watching it, you know, as it was coming out weekly. And I think this was a light episode all in all. Like, this was fairly light and fluffy and fun. Even with the seriousness of, like, occasionally it had hit those serious moments of the game of cat and mouse between Stamets and Mud. Both kind of trying to trying to leverage the timeline in their particular direction. So comparatively, I think even with the drama parts of it, it was still fairly light. Um the end I agree, like they wrap it up uh, way too neatly and way too quickly because Mud has murdered the crew so many times. Like at at least like sixty times, I think, at that point. Hey, whatever happens in the time loop stays in the time loop. Yeah, yeah, luckily. Um, I, 
I, I, I think that's our episode title. <laughs> God, it might well be. Um, and but that's yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. I think even though I don't really care about Ash Tyler, I did like the the kind of the moments of kind of growth for Michael. And, you know, when she and uh, Stamets were having that dance in the hallway, it was that point that you get in in things like the um, Groundhog Day or the Stargate SG-1 time loop or anything like that of just like, why bother at this point? Let's waste a time loop actually doing yep. this. And, and the kind of the sadness of actually, even with that, she doesn't learn those lessons or get that conversation because the time reset and even the nice dance and the nice time there also reset so yeah it's um it's nice we saw those moments it's a shame that like there's some pathos to them going and maybe if it was totally trying to be more of a drama we'd actually confront that the the moment when stamets asks michael for a secret that to let so that he that she would know that they're in a time loop next time round, and she tells him that he's never that she's he she's never been in love, and Stamets's reaction is I'm really I'm sorry. That might be I think one of my favorite little character moments in Discovery as a show, mm. because it it feels it feels like something that you wouldn't get in the Star Trek of the 60s or the 90s. Or, if you did, it would feel kind of very fro. It would feel either very fro way or kind of trite. And so, th- this is this is the good parts of Star Trek-ass HBO Max-style show, where you do get those little moments of character depth when the characters become more than just space heroes. You couldn't imagine that being like, in in the cause and effect, you wouldn't imagine that the clue they would have to make them realize in a time loop being Geordie saying, he's never been in love. It just doesn't yeah. fit with that style of show. Yes, yeah, and while I think the two big flaws that can pop up with Discovery is, sometimes it is too Whedon-y quippy and sometimes it is too painfully earnest but to a slightly like not necessarily forced but a way that feels a little ham-fisted at times this feels like it gets it right as far as that mm. that total quantity I mean let's see like, yeah. as far as as far as this goes I think it's probably the best discovery episode that we've seen so far. That's not saying much. Well, <laughs> I try. I try with the discovery episodes. No. Like there are definitely some good ones, but also I I get it. <laughs> like I I net like I I like parts of discovery. I mm. feel that discovery has definitely gotten much better. As the show has progressed, yeah. um, I still haven't watched. Se- I still haven't watched season four. I think season three is its strongest. I I do think it suffers from 
serialization from being overly serialized when it really needs more. I sometimes I think it does mean more of a episode of the week tone, like Strange New Worlds. And yeah, I I never go I never go into watching a program, especially a program I want to watch for fun, intending to hate it or hate watch it. It's just that it's very hard to it's very hard at times. Yes, yeah. Like, I, I think I've seen most of Discovery season four, and it's it does a better job of balancing the of the week and the overall story. But there is yet another overall story as well. Yeah. But yeah, as far as our as far as our big list, our highest ranked Discovery is the the pilot episodes. Uh, Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars in position number 12. Now, I think this is solidly better than that. The next question is, mm. is it better than Crossover? Um, I am going to have to say no. Mm. Because Crossover Crossover is a, you know has its very dark moments, but at the same time, you have all the characters knowing what kind of tone they're going for and they're committing and they're going for, you know, campy, evil, fetish fetishy PVC OTT fun. Not not even take into account the fact that Odo fucking explodes or oh, yeah. it reminds me of my beloved Blake Seven. Um I will I will shoehorn in a Blake Seven ep- episode reference every episode. You see if I oh, don't. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that Vulcan Hello and Battle of the Binary Stars feels like a much more consistent story overall. Um, it does, but I prefer the this story despite the inconsistencies. You know, uh, taken separately, the elements like the, the kind of romantic comedy element and the, the tense kind of time traveler versus time traveler kind of back and forth. I think I I prefer overall. Alright, so shall we shall we say this goes at number eleven? Okay, so oh, hang on. Number eleven would make it replacing um crossover. Do you mean number twelve? No, hang on. Um, oh, mine hasn't updated. Okay, ah, mine hasn't updated. Ah, ah, okay. <laughs> That's where we. I'm getting a bit of a problem. Okay, okay. okay so, 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 um, Vulcan Hello is on is number twelve now, and crossovers number eleven. Is that close. what you're saying? I'm saying, uh, crossover is still number eleven. Where it was moved after we had cause and effect. Um, ah, okay, yeah, I'm looking at the public. Okay, I'm looking at the public version. Okay, yep. Ah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's that's where I'm that's where I'm going with. Yep. Okay. So yeah, this way we now have 34 episodes of Star Trek listed down, and yeah, with number 12 we have magic to make the sanest man go mad. Just above Vulcan Hello, and just below Crossover, um, which yeah feels like a good a good place for it. 
the discoverer is slowly inching its way up the list, but it's uh, it's slow getting there. Yeah, we've definitely got territory where there's a lot of certain shows, like a lot of DS9s up top and a lot of Enterprises down bottom, and Discovery is becoming a solid middle here. But there's one more show. There's one more show that we have yet to put on the list. There is one Star Trek show that we've been... We're not putting Blake 7 on the list. I'm just going to say that. I'm not talking about Blake... I'm not talking about Blake 7. You know what I'm talking about. We have to do it. It's it's time. We have to talk about Galaxy Quest. (laughs) Oh, you... Oh, one day we will have to talk about Galaxy Quest, but alas, I know what you were hinting at, and you're not wrong. Next episode, it's finally happening. For the sake of synergy with the start of season three of Picard, we're doing a Picard orientated or Picard season three trailer orientated, I guess, episode where we'll be looking at varied things that might be relevant for Picard Season 3. So yeah, good luck to us for that. So yeah, we've had some some good high-shooter high, like, high shooter episodes today, and we're definitely going to have a low one uh, next episode, as we finally watch for Pilot for Picard. But until then, you can find us online, on Nerd and Ties website, uh, on Nerd and Ties Discord as well, and at Casual Trek Pod on Twitter, while Twitter is still somehow functioning. Um, where can the good folks find you, Miles? They can find me on my Twitter account on at ManMiles, or they can look at my. My blog, which is M-A Reed Lobato, that's R-E-I-D-L-O-B-A-T-T-O dot WordPress dot com. Um, I have a uh, book and TV reviews, and I'm currently um, serializing a Lovecraftian novel I wrote back in 2010 called Shadow the Necronomicon. I am loving the kind of commentary elements um and examinations that you're you're bringing to your past work in those <laughs> it's been good fun so far and good i'm glad and charlie where can the good folks find you so uh you can find me at fakedtales.com which is my blog and has a big list full of various things i'm doing and places where you can find me but the big thing is as this episode airs i am imminently going to be launching a kickstarter for my very deadly very fun superhero school comic explosion high there will be a link in the show notes to where you can get notified when that kickstarter launches uh please do check it out if you like the the callous casual deadliness that the federation seems to operate under then you'll like the callous casual deadliness that uh that this high school uses as well and there's a flying shark with robot arms in it so uh yeah check that out as always you can rate and review us on itunes and all other podcatching 
podcasting areas that would be wonderful of you we are also slowly putting up our past episodes on youtube um under the channel i believe it's casual trek that's correct yes so yeah subscribe to that for us a like relive some of your greatest hits from this show so far as i i gradually catch up with converting them to video and uploading them to that site eventually hopefully they'll be launching at the same time as these but until then you can check out the middling job that i've done with the show images uh while listening to our lovely voices and with that go on go do a starfleet try not to get lost in any time loops and uh eat jelly baby and next week time loops Next week, you'll you'll wish time loops. <laughs> is there an episode where Picard is stuck in a time loop? I mean, we we did just see, we literally just saw one. We oh yeah, we did see Picard in a time loop. God damn it! All right, and then next oh, well. week, Picard not in a time loop. Yeah. Okay. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.